All right, how you guys doing today? Since my microphone blew up on me on Sunday, we're trying something different. If you're in the second service, you probably saw. So we got a little, um, it didn't actually blow up in case you weren't there. <laughs> it just stopped working. But um, anyway, you guys doing all right this week? Having a good week? Maybe, kind of. All right, well, let's jump on in. We'll pray and we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray tonight that as we dig into your word and as your word even, um, God, refers to itself, uh, that our love for your word would increase, God, that our obedience would increase, that, um, God, what you're doing in us individually would um, just spread throughout this church community, throughout the city. Father, that your kingdom would expand. And so, you know, each one of us are coming from a different place, coming from a different place emotionally and um, and spiritually tonight. So, Father, I just pray that you'd unite us. God, help us to focus on you. Help us to exalt Jesus. God, to be led by your spirit and to just grow as disciples. Father, we want to glorify you. Uh, we want to mature. Um, we want to do your will. So, God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, for his life, death, and resurrection. And, uh, God, that is it's our foundation for everything we do. So we just praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're jumping into the last third of James chapter 1. If you were uh, with us the first couple weeks, you know that the first 12 verses of James chapter 1, we... Uh, we're talking about trials and tribulations, and then um, the last week we talked about verses 13 through 18. We're talking about temptation, and so James, the half-brother of Jesus, is uh, talking to the Jews who scattered. You go back and look at Acts chapter 8, when persecution came, they scattered throughout all of the land, all around the Middle East, and he says, listen, I want to talk to you about trials. I want you to endure. I know that you're scattered. You're out there. Uh, many of you, you're without jobs now. Uh, you're struggling with all kinds of of stuff you're wondering is it even worth it to continue on in the faith and so uh, i want you to endure the trials i want you to resist the temptations and now what if you were scattered what would you turn to next what would you do and so james is going to talk about loving god he's going to talk about loving god in a specific way a way that god wants to be loved in and so uh, we're going to be talking about His Word as we dig into His Word and our obedience to His Word, not just knowing it, but doing it. So this is a famous passage many of you are familiar with because it talks about being doers of the Word. But let me ask you, how do you love somebody? Because we think about our relationship with God, and in a lot of ways it's not too unlike our relationship with other people. But how do you love somebody? I mean, if you, if you think about it, you could spend time around them, you could bring them gifts, get to know them. So much of how we love and are loved by other people is dictated by our words, isn't it? Like what we say to each other, about each other, uh, this is, is everything. It shapes our understanding of who that person is. You think about your spouse, if you have one, and what they like, what they don't like. You know what to do because of what they've said. Sometimes you even do what they said, but... What we say to each other and how we respond to that is, for the most part, how we love each other. 
And so when we talk about loving God, we automatically have to be thinking about his word and, and how we respond to the Bible. And as we dig into this tonight, it's important that many of us, even as we approach this topic tonight, many of us are used to loving others, but it's often in a selfish way. And when you dig into this passage tonight, you have to come from a context of understanding Christ's selfless love for us and how we have to approach the word tonight selflessly. Because it's one of those passages that's going to make you think, man, we just got to do more for God. We just got to do stuff for God. And if you felt like you had a heavy weight coming in, um, you could, if you interpreted it uh the wrong way you could you could leave feeling that struggle but you gotta like me you gotta as you think about this word come to it with a fresh perspective i mean think about the love that we have for other people even um even like our own kids right if you got kids you love them and you do a lot of things for them out of love out of a selfless love but if we're being honest sometimes it's selfish like we we just take care of them sometimes out of obligation like, we don't want to look bad. We do what we're supposed to do because we know that we're supposed to do it. And so selflessly, we're like, no, let's just, let's just do it. If you go on a date with somebody and you're getting to know them and you're finding common ground, like, you're pumped about that common ground, not because they love something, but you're like, hey, this is a way for them to connect with who? With me. With me. There's a self-serving desire even in that that made you want to go on a date to begin with. Like you needed something. You weren't just thinking to yourself, I want to bless the world, so I'm going to go on a bunch of dates, right? Um, That might be a little odd to say anyhow. But there's something self-serving in a lot of the love that we have. And so uh, tonight, as we dig into God's word, as we think about what it means to love God, um, there's a humility that has to be in our hearts to even approach the subject because uh, some of it can be kind of tough. And so let's jump on in. If you got a Bible, feel free to open it. James chapter 1 verses 19 through 27. We're going to walk through this as we do each week, verse by verse. I'm going to stop three times. We're going to split this passage up into three little segments. You'll see um, each one in your Bible probably broken up into a short paragraph. But James says in verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. First thing we see when it comes to approaching God's word, the best way to love him and his word is to repent and receive. Repent and receive. Now, just like a lot of the book of James. If you're just at home reading this, you'll feel like you're reading the Proverbs in the Old Testament. That's the book that it most feels like to people. It doesn't, um, like Paul's writings, seem to have um, a consistency. Sometimes it seems very random, but this is the beauty of being able to study this together, like tonight, is we get to see how it all fits together as a whole. So let's walk through it. He says, understand this. So right off the bat, when you come to God's word, you realize Hey, I'm I'm here to learn. I'm here to gain understanding. I'm not God. God is God. And he's saying, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of your translations might say, my beloved. So you come with a foundation of knowing like, man, I'm I'm investing. I'm searching in God's word, wisdom and, and figuring out how to do his will because I know he loves me. Scripture says that he loved us first. And so we can love him. And that's your identity in Christ, one who is loved. If you don't park even on that, 
Then the rest of this, again, you read and you think, man, it just sounds like we've got to do a bunch to God. But the gospel is always our context. Remember, James had a perspective of Jesus and his righteousness and his uh, life and his work on the cross and his resurrection that nobody else had. It was a unique perspective. And so he has the gospel, the good news, um, as his context. And so we have to as well. You must all be quick to listen. So he rifles off four or five things here uh, that we repent from. And then he talks at the very end, the last verse, about receiving something. So let's talk about these different things that he says. you gotta, you got to turn from this stuff. You need to know you're coming to God's word. Here's some things to, to get rid of. And he has a bit of a list. You must all be quick to listen. So that's the first one. Quick to listen. You have a hard time listening? Has anyone ever said that to you? ever said, man, you struggle with listening. Or, or maybe your spouse said, I think you hear me, but you're not really listening. Why is that? Why do we struggle with listening? It's probably a couple reasons. Uh, for most of us, pride or the need to listen. Some of us, let's be honest, the reason we don't listen is because we don't think we need to. We think, man, I know probably more than you do. Now, I'm just the smartest guy or gal in the room. Deep down in our hearts, we might believe that, even though we might not say it. We just don't feel like, like what are you going to teach me? You ever been in a small group, even of believers, and thought, man, I probably, I probably know more than most of the people here. So like, you, you want to speak more in the discussion because you feel like, I probably have more to add than anybody else. You ever been there? Some of it is just pride. We don't think. If you're going to come to God's Word, you've got to know, like, God is the one giving this word. So like, I'm not going to argue with God's word. I'm not going to fight against God's word because God is God. And as he's holy, his word is holy. So it's above me. It exalts above me and I humble myself to it. So some of us just don't listen because we don't think we need to. Others don't listen because we don't want to. So we have pride that says, I don't need to listen to people. But we often have a lack of desire to want to listen. You ever been with someone that you're just like, man, I don't want to hear them. To be honest, I don't want to hear their story. I don't want to hear their drama. I don't want to hear what's going on. And you're not teachable because you have that pride, but you also aren't compassionate because you just don't love them. You don't love people. You don't want to hear what they have to say. For some of us, we struggle with listening because we, we know um, both out of that lack of need or at least perceived need and lack of desire. Like we, just, we just don't do it. And so if you've ever been like me, you found yourself at times letting people talk, not because you want to listen, but because you're just developing your argument against it or you're thinking of the next words that you have to say. And the Bible's saying, James is saying, guys, you got to know, this is God's word. Like if you're going to come and you're going to love God, no matter where you are, no matter how scattered you are from Jerusalem, if, if the word is the word, you've got to come listening to God. Because this just isn't another friend of yours. This is God. Do you listen? It's not an ear problem for most of us. It's a heart problem. Second thing is, must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. So first, listen. And then second, be slow to speak. What you'll notice in these things is that they're like stair steps, right? So those who struggle to listen are usually chatterboxes. They're usually the people who, who talk too much. And those who talk too much are the ones who get angry 
and they get riled up by other people, and, and those people then are the ones who have a lot of filth and evil. And so you'll see, um, again, if you're reading this by yourself, it might just feel like some Proverbs. Like, man, how are these even related? But if you follow the pattern, he's saying, we got junk in our lives. And so before you even receive, humbly accept the word, you got to know there's stuff that's stopping some of us from coming to God. What's stopping you from coming to God? Slow to speak. We all want to be heard, don't we? I mean, think about this. Think about social media. How popular is social media? Like through the roof popular. Every couple years, there's something huge that changes, right? It's um, things like MySpace. You guys remember MySpace? And then it goes to things like Facebook. I'm surprised Facebook has stayed around this long, honestly. By the time we all get used to it, it changes, right? And Twitter, Snapchat, all these things, they just pop up. There's so many that I don't even have a clue of. That's how old school I am. But it's always changing. And it's a huge industry based around what? Based around us. Feeling like what we have to say is important. And they're like, hey, here's a new opportunity, a new opportunity, a new platform for you to what? Speak. For you to let people know you got something to say. So we struggle to listen, but man, so many of us are quick to speak. And he's saying, be slow to speak, but quick to listen. Our mouths get us in trouble. I remember when I was growing up, I always had um, a buddy. He was an old farm kid. His last name was Coonsy. He just a, just a rough old boy. And I was always the mouthpiece wherever we went. If we were hanging out, wherever. Um, it was me and him. We were always together. And anytime there was perceived trouble, like I was the mouthiest kid in the room. I was always getting us into, into fights and trouble, but I knew something. I had, a, I had a secret every time. I knew whatever my mouth says or gets me into trouble, like he's going to back me up because he's my buddy. And so I knew some people just aren't going to mess with me, not because I was big and strong and I was skinny and wimpy, but because he's big and strong and he's with me. And I always had an out. How many of us live that way? where we speak, speak, speak into the lives of others, into coworkers' lives, just rifling off opinions, not even necessarily God's word, maybe far from it, and yet we don't feel accountable to it. We feel like, eh, it's almost like I'm not even saying it. And James is saying, be slow to speak. You will be held accountable for every idle word. And so when you approach God's word, you be quick to listen because he's God and you're not. You'd be slow to speak because he's got something to say and it's going to inform what we should be saying. But we've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And the third thing he says, and slow to get angry. Slow to get angry. He um, gives an example after this. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So we know like, you can get angry and not necessarily sin, but... Here's the thing. Well, Jesus, he got angry, right? He flipped some tables a couple times. Yep. Jesus probably got angry a little different than you and I get angry. We know there's things in our lives that make us angry. We, even in the process of getting angry, sin in that, much less in our anger itself, sin. And he's saying, you need to know human anger, it doesn't produce the righteousness God desires or God's will in your life. How many of you, you got really angry throughout your life, and you look back at those times, and you're like, man, when I got angry, amazing things happened in the kingdom of God. Anyone, anyone got that story? Not many of us. But how many times you look back and you say, you know what? When I got angry, I made bad decisions. I said things that I regretted. I wasn't going to listen. 
but I was quick to speak. And we do that in our anger all the time. Tara and I were prepping for a, um, a trip to Glacier National Park in August. We've been looking forward to this for like a year. We're, we're getting pumped. We love family vacation. It's just something we've prioritized as a family. And as I'm looking at different hiking trails and things to do, Tara, she'll pop over every once in a while, see what I'm, I'm doing on the computer. And, and she usually doesn't get into the research too much for whatever reason she trusts me with it. And she'll see some of the hiking trails they have. It's called the Hikers National Park. That's what they, they know Glacier for. It's up on the Canadian border in Montana. And the most popular hike in the whole park is called the Highline Trail. And it's way up high above the road. And there's parts of the trail, good chunks of the trail, where there's a sheer face rock wall right here. And then just a few feet of trail. And then it'll drop hundreds of feet. And you know it's a wide open valley. Like, you know, you fall, flights out. There's no like, hey, someone broke their ankle falling off the Highline Trail. Oh, it's like... Search and rescue picked him up in a few hours. It took hours to get to, like, it's that kind of a story. And she pops over and she says, why don't we do that one? That looks like the best one. And I said, no. Like, if it's just me and her, maybe. But then you think about Silas, he's five. You just think, man, how just one careless move, one careless move, something terrible could happen. Like, as a parent, that just eats you up. And God, when he looks at your life, he says, oh, yeah, you could do that. Like, you could get angry. Like, it in and of itself isn't inherently bad. But what it typically produces is tragic. It's not good. Like, you can walk on it. You can walk that line in your life. But you're going to look back and say, it didn't produce much that was good. It, It was bad. It was nasty what anger is for most of us you can get there but it's not good so think about the anger you have for some of it you you need to just remove it there's things in your life that make you angry that you can remove other things you need to replace but you're like man you know what i've had some things that have that have ticked me off over the years i'm going to get rid of it i'm going to replace it with some things that are good and noble and true there's other times where you're at work or wherever and and you can't um, just get rid of the thing that makes you angry you have to deal with it and so you can still resist that anger. All of it is a part of repentance. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. There's a lot. Most of this passage, most of the the stuff that we're going to park on is obviously in these couple verses. And the fourth one. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. What he's saying is you got to take out the trash. So if you come to God's word, if you want to love God well, you're going to come to his word and you're going to repent of sin. So that you can receive what God has to say and what he has for you in Christ. And so the fourth one is to get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives. Got to take out the trash. How many of you like to take out the trash? Not many. One of you. It's usually a dirty, nasty job, right? It's the chore that nobody wants to do. But there's, there's spiritual maintenance in our lives as we look at the things that we do. Sometimes as a Christian, especially if you've been doing this for years, you get in a routine where you just start thinking, okay, yeah, at the beginning I turned from some sin, and so I feel like I'm pretty good the older I get. But you've got to constantly check your heart and see what you've been racking up, what you've been collecting. We've got a bathroom at home that we just know, no matter what we put down that drain in the kitchen, in the bathroom sink, whether toothpaste, whatever, like in six months, it's going to get slow. It's going to get clogged. And we're going to have to get in there. We're going to have to clean that thing out. Like that's just a part of our life with that house. And spiritually, 
That's what it's like for a lot of us. We've got to recognize. And there's filth. There's junk that's building up. You've got to check your heart. When you pray, when you're talking to God, when you open God's word, even in your daily quiet times, are you letting him tell you of the filth and the evil that maybe you have racked up? Or are you ignoring it? You can find that if you let it build up over and over and over, if you let it continue to grow, when you open God's word, it seems like sometimes it doesn't penetrate your heart like it used to. You ever felt that way? Like, well, I know this is God's word, but for whatever reason, it's not shaking me like it used to. The reality is, you've got a trash heap that he's been saying for a long time. Get rid of it. Empowered by my spirit, get rid of it. And you've ignored it. You've ignored it. You've ignored it. And now you're like, man, I don't even feel like I'm hearing from God. Saying, take out the trash. Take out the trash. Then he says this, to finish up this couple verses. Changes from repent to receive, so that... All these things are so that, right, humbly, you can humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your soul. So he's saying, this is incredibly transformative. This is life-changing. This changes your eternal destination. This word here, the Bible, changes everything. This is why we love it so much. Because it is a game-changer. But you've got to humbly, humbly accept it. It's like Andy on Sunday talking about, being inoculated, having just a little bit of that shot that, that stops you from experiencing the whole thing. How many of us heard that? I was like, man, that's me. That's me. You feel like you get immune to even the word, but don't forget, this is what saves our souls. We receive the word. You think about your heart, you think about it in terms of soil. And if you ignore the first four things here, talking about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, get rid of that filth, it's like rain falling down. When God's word falls down on you, when you read it, do you actually receive it? Do you absorb it? You think about good, fertile farm ground that receives rain. Man, it doesn't run off. It just soaks in. And, you know, this is good for the crops. You ever just wake up and it's raining like that? Lately, of course, we've had tons of rain. But you're like, man, this is a beautiful thing. Compared to a flash flood? You ever been out in the desert? Seen a flash flood? All of a sudden... It goes from no rain at all to, what, huge torrents, picking up sticks, mud, all kinds of stuff. Why? Because you got hard soil. you got rocky soil. It's not used to receiving it. Is your hard heart what's causing the issues? Some of us, well, it's a discipline issue. I'm not in the Word. It could be that's the case. But for those of us who are in the Word, do we have a heart that's hard? It's got so much filth built up around it. But when you receive it, you realize, man, this is powerful stuff. This changes things. There's a book called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, if you want. If you want some, uh, some good reading, but some tough reading, pick this one up. The chapters are just like three or four pages, but it's solid stuff. And it talks about approaching God, remembering the God that we have here. I think it's a good way to sum up this passage and our need for him. It says, but the God we must see 
is not the utilitarian God who is having such a run of popularity today, whose chief claim to men's attention is his ability to bring them success in their various undertakings, and who for that reason is being cajoled and flattered by everyone who wants a favor. No, the God we must learn to know is the majesty in the heavens, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the only wise God, our Savior. He it is that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, who stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in who bringeth out his starry host by number and calleth them by all by name through the greatness of his power who seeth the works of man as vanity and putteth no confidence in princes and asks no counsel of kings when you realize man god is god and i am not you're quick to listen you're slow to speak you're slow to anger You find yourself repenting and receiving his word. Verses 22 through 25, James goes on to say, but don't just listen to God's word. So it's important that you've heard God's word, right? But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So the first thing we see is repent and receive. The second thing is to know and do. To know and do. So don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. So this twofold approach is crucial for the faith. How many of y'all, when you grew up, you loved riding bikes? Anybody? You come from like a small town where you could ride just about anywhere. I loved that. When you had a bike, man, you had everything. You had all the power of transportation that you needed. You could go anywhere. We went to the basketball courts. We went to the store. We rode our bikes to school when I was seven years old. Uh, we started um, doing the local paper route. And so me and my brothers, we'd all get on our bikes. We'd split up the papers. We'd buzz around town. Like to have a bike was to have power. It was awesome. We loved riding our bikes. We'd be bored. Mom would say, go ride your bike. We'd have fun. What are we having fun? We're riding our bike. Like everything was centered around riding our bikes. But when you're a kid, you realize these things break, right? And, and you ever have uh, like the chain fall off? You've been riding down and the chain just falls off and you got to get down there and figure out how to put it back on. It's all greasy. Get your fingertips all nasty. But you put that thing back on. You're like, okay, we can fix this thing. Things go wrong. Flat tires. What about a pedal? You ever had a pedal break? Like that's a pain. As a kid, you're naturally thinking, like, especially if you're far from home, like, I could fix this. But sometimes if it's plastic or, or something stripped out, like, you can't. And in the mind of a kid, what do you think? You're like, well, I still got one pedal. I could do this. Like, I can make it home, right? I mean, because that bike is everything. And when you got two pedals, it's just smooth and beautiful. But then you got one pedal, and you're thinking, we could still do this, though, right? I mean, it's just 50% of what I had before. And then what happens? You get that pedal. You get it to the top you got to stand up on that bike, and then you push down, but then the momentum, you got to keep that thing going so it gets back up, right? So then you sit, but now you got to jump back up, and you realize it's super awkward. How well does that work? For most, not terribly well. It doesn't work at all. You see, it's not just a matter of taking away one pedal, and then you have 50% of what you had before. It goes from this thing works 100%, like it should, to sometimes like zero. Before you know it, you're walking that thing up. You're like, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. 
Well, those two petals are crucial to work together. That's a lot like Christianity. If you want this thing to go the way that God says it's supposed to go, there's two petals. There's knowing God's word. There's doing God's word. There's knowing God's word. There's doing God's word. There's knowing God's word. There's doing God's word. Some people love one petal and not the other. Some people love to know God's word. Come to a church and ask, where's the Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. Others, they don't necessarily love Bible study. They don't have a quiet time. They don't invest. But they're like, let's go do something. Sometimes I'll hear that from new people at the church. They're like, what does Crosspoint do? Let's go do something. Let's let's go serve somebody or let's do some outreach or something. They love it. But as you do that outreach with them and you get to talking about their life and what God's really doing in their heart, sometimes it lacks transformation and you find out they're not in the Word. Like they don't even know the God they're serving so much. In general, I think God probably looks at the American church and says, hey, your level of knowledge far outweighs your level of obedience. We love to come and learn about God. This is why Sundays are crucial for learning about God. Now, there's things that we do on Sundays that are living out our faith. But on the flip side, the other pedal is grow groups. So we have Bible study together on Sundays, but our grow group is Bible application. Some people go to a grow group and they'll say, I just don't feel like we dug in super deep to the word. Probably not because there's like 10 kids running around screaming. Good luck digging into anything except your lack of self-control and patience, you're going to find that it's difficult. But that group is meant to apply the word. So you take what you learn on Sunday, you study it on Sunday, you come back and discuss it. But the main goal isn't just to study it a second time and regurgitate it. The main goal is how do we live this out? Let's go do this together. So you got knowing and doing, knowing and doing, knowing and doing. In a healthy life as a believer... You're learning about God through his word, and then you're actually doing it. And you'll find yourself motivated. You'll find the momentum. If you only have one, you'll say, this is awkward. I went to this Bible study. It was good, but I didn't do anything about it, so I'm waiting for the next men's or women's Bible study. And then you you go again, and you're like, this is good, but when's the next 10-week Bible study? And then you go again, and you're like, okay, this is good. I feel some momentum, but then I can't go anywhere. And, And God says, you learn, and you do. You learn and you do, you're going to find yourself moving in the direction that he wants. Keep in mind, James is writing this. As a half-brother of Jesus, he saw Jesus do this his whole life. Right? Picture going to church with Jesus. Growing up, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature. Like, like he, he knows God's word. He's learning God's word. And then he's out there doing it perfectly. He's doing it. You're like, oh, I know Jesus learned something at Sunday school today. And then he like did everything the Sunday school teacher said. Oh, gosh, Jesus, he just does everything. He's just the good kid. Like he was doing everything that he knew perfectly. James is growing up with this. He knows what it looks like. He says, otherwise, if you don't do this, if, if you just have lip service for God, but you don't actually do it, he says, you're only fooling yourselves. Now, in the next couple verses, he says the same thing, that you're fooling yourselves. You ever, you ever tricked yourself, sabotaged yourself a little bit? Says, scripture says about the devil that he's an accuser of the brethren, that he is a liar, that he's a deceiver. He wants to trick us, but he loves the fact that sometimes in our own sinful flesh, we trick ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And if you say, I love studying the Bible, but you don't ever do what it says, you've deceived yourself. I love to do what God says, 
but you don't even know about the God you're serving. You've deceived yourself. He gives this imagery. This is what it's like. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away. What happens? You forget what you look like. You forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, into the word, the law that Jesus is and fulfilled through his death and resurrection, that sets you free. So you see your sinfulness, but you see his goodness and his fulfillment. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The word bless just means you'll be happy. This, this is good. doesn't mean your circumstances are perfect, but it means like when you're smack dab in the middle of God's will, you ever, you ever known even a hard decision you've made, but you're like, this is God's will. You remember that feeling that you had where you're like, man, this is hard. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to tell this person we need to break up. I don't need to, I don't want to, but I'm going to do it. And you realize real early in the Christian walk, you'd rather be on the verge of hell, but doing exactly what God has called you to than live on some earthly paradise far from the Lord. When you're in the middle of his will, man, there's nothing more sweet than that. That that should be a a high thrill for the church. Being in the will of God is a beautiful thing. But he uses this imagery. And this is important because it's not just a mirror. Sometimes there's metaphors in Scripture. They're like, okay, that has nothing to... Like, that, that's a completely different subject. But he's talking about a mirror, and we know the Word of God is a mirror. So you open up God's Word, and what you see is that you as an image bearer of God are seeing the God that you have the image of, and you realize, okay, this is who He is. This is His perfection. And now I can see like a mirror that I'm not perfect. I haven't done everything right and yet at the same time, you realize what he's done in sending his son to die on the cross. You're like, wow, I can receive this. And when you know who he is and what he's done, then the same word will teach you who you are and what you should do in response. And so this mirror that you look into requires action. It's a game changer. You see this thing and you turn around and you say, I'm going to live differently. It changes everything. I mean, how many of you have forgotten something and then felt smart about it, right? If your spouse says, hey, stop and grab this at the store and you forget, do you then, when you realize later what you did, think, oh, gosh, that was an amazing moment? No, you think, that's stupid. Or you leave your car keys somewhere, you don't feel good about it. You feel silly. And James is saying, this is what it's like for the church when you open up the word on Sundays, when it's preached, and then you don't do anything about it. When you're at home and you open it up, in the morning, at noon, at night, and you read what it says, and you think, this is good. You know what? The person I'm going to minister to later, they're going to need to hear this. I'm going to remember that. Or, oh, wow, this is what you said. We're going to talk about orphans and widows here in a bit. And that's a good general principle for most people. God, good job. Not probably for me. Like, my life circumstances don't <coughs> let me take care of those people. So, you know, and you don't think it's for you. You don't do it. God's saying through James, that's silly. That's silly for the church to live that way. Think about your circumstances. Think about the things that would be different in your life. If you and the people around you opened up the word of God, saw what it said, and then said, I'm going to do it. It'd be a game changer. How many of y'all were in church this Sunday? Any of you? You remember 
well, especially if you're in the 1045. Do you remember how hot it was? Did it feel kind of warm to you? A little bit toasty? 80 degrees in here. Now, this is a kind of a rough building for cooling. You've got the basement. You've got the doors downstairs. So, like, and the, the cold air, anything that we build up, we usually try to get as cold as we can by, you know, 7, 8 in the morning, but it all just goes out, and you get all the people in there. It's, it's hot and sweaty. Here's the thing. Confession time. We've got three ACs in here in this room. Every year, I know at least two of them are going to have issues. One of them specifically, the one that covers this whole side of the, the building, it leaks Freon like crazy. And I don't want to pump any money into this building. And so I knew it was getting hotter. I knew summertime was here. But I'm looking at that Sunday temperature, and I'm thinking, gosh, if I don't want to pump 500 bucks into an AC that we're not going to be using past the summer. So I knew because of all the previous summers, exactly how jacked up all the ACs are. I knew exactly what was wrong with each one of them. I knew that it was a matter of time. There's going to be that one Sunday where you're like, okay, we've had too much. I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't do it. I thought to myself, we'll wait and see. Maybe by some miraculous, amazing movement of God, he will touch the ACs with his hands, his healing hands, and and there will not be that Sunday this year that we're just like, oh, that's miserable. So what happens? Sunday comes. It was like 78 degrees outside during the 1045 service. It was 80 and 81 in here. 80 and 80. It was hotter in here than it was out there. I was up on stage. I was in the back, and I was watching people fan themselves like this. Like, <sighs> See, circumstances changed. When I knew the issue, I had looked it squarely in the face, but I didn't do anything about it. Guess who felt the impact? This would be you. Do you like that? No. For the record, we got the ACs fixed today, so that's why I can tell the story under clear conscience, because (laughs) I've repented. But think about your own circumstances. Think about the people in your life. Think about how things would be different. How many times you've opened up the word and you saw what it said? God spoke to your heart, but you're like, no, no. And then later you look back and said, man, if I would have done this in that relationship, like we'd still be together. If I would have done this with my kids, we wouldn't have had tension like this. If I would have acted like that at work, I knew what the word was telling me and I didn't do it. And man, my boss and I do not have a great relationship now. The beauty is, though, tonight, like you get a fresh look. You get the same powerful word, the one that can save our souls, and you get to respond to it. But don't fool yourself and just know about it, but don't do it, or do it, but don't know the God you're worshiping. Last but not least, verses 26 and 27. James says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue. So that's the theme throughout all of James, talking about the tongue, that no man can tame the tongue. But he tells us, got to control it. You're fooling yourself. So once again, you're fooling yourself. He says this the second time in this passage. And your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Last thing we see is that we go and share. So when we approach God's word, we repent and receive. We know it and do it. Then we go and share. We go and share. So what God does to us, he wants to ultimately do through us. 
So if you claim to be religious, we think about religion. How many times have you heard someone say, Christianity's not, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. You ever heard that one? You hear that all the time, right? James is saying, there's religion that's good, there's religion that's not good. And here's what's not good. When everything that you have built up with God is simply lip service, but you don't control your tongue, maybe you say you're going to do things, but you don't do them, I guess it's worthless. If you do something on a Sunday morning and then completely act a fool Sunday afternoon, your kids see that, he's saying, they're not going to want to follow that God. They're going to say, that's worthless. Your religion is worthless. What's one of the primary reasons kids at 18 don't go to the local church wherever they go for college or work? It's because they had parents who maybe took them to church but never really lived it out. It was lip service. They were checking the box, right? He's saying, you've got to control your tongue, what you say. Otherwise, it's worthless. But here's the flip side. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So these two are important because they go together. So he's saying, hey, you want what's good? Here's what's good. That people who are the most destitute, the most vulnerable, the most broken, the most unlovable in your eyes, the most unlikely to end up with you. Here's what God wants. He wants you to love them. He wants you to take care of them. Think about this 2,000 years ago. If you got married and had kids and then your husband died, who's there to take care of you? If your kids and your parents died or abandoned you, who's there to take care of you? This is why the verses in Scripture are so zealous towards us about actually taking care of people. We live in a society where we think primarily about the government as the ones to take care of us. So you're poor, you're struggling, who's going to take care of me? It's a government's job, right? So we look to the government. And the Bible's saying it's the church's job. It's your job, it's my job. It's not just this building, it's the people in it. Sometimes kids would be sold into slavery. Sometimes they would be sold into the sex trade. This is an incredibly vulnerable place to be in. What God's saying is, that was you. This isn't some random passage like, hey, I want you to put away some bad stuff and then I want you to do what God says. Um, Oh, by the way, uh, just take care of this very random subject over here. Yeah, like widows and orphans. No, he's saying you guys are scattered. You have been persecuted and pushed outside of Jerusalem. Moms and dads have been separated. Kids have been separated from families. Here's what I want you to do. Take care of each other. Because that's how you were to God. You were abandoned, feeling like you were all alone in your sin, (laughs) destined for eternal separation. And through the cross, Jesus came and you can be adopted back into the family of God where you're both born again, born into and have the rights of a son who gets to inherit the kingdom of God. And yet at the same time, adopted as one who couldn't choose anything for themselves, but the father chose you because of his great love. See, this is what God has for you and me. And this is what he's saying. If you're going to love me, 
you're going to receive my word, my love. You're going to abide in it. You're going to grow in it. You're going to actually do what it says. And you're going to go share it with people so that everyone knows as the kingdom expands, this is for them. This is for them. Sometimes people have looked at James and they said, man, this is a hard book. He's got some harsh words for us and he's got some high standards. But this is what happens when you come face to face with grace. He lived with Jesus. And he's not saying, hey, I'm going to write this five-chapter book and I just want you to know it's all lovey-dovey. Hey, just as long as you know about God's love, everything's going to be amazing. No, he's got his, his moment of influence in our lives 2,000 years later. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I know Jesus. I know I'm better than any of you in this room. I know this was my brother and I didn't even believe in him. And it said that none of us believed him. We thought he was crazy. And yet we've seen his ministry, his perfection, his death on the cross. And he showed himself to us, as Paul says in Corinthians, after the resurrection. And I've come face to face with the grace of God. And I'm telling you, let's live on fire. Let's be radically passionate about God because his love for us is amazing. And there's a million circumstances in your life as you're scattered and you're persecuted. They're going to make you question things. Is this worth it? Do I keep going? Is this really what I want to put my life and faith in? And I'm telling you it is. So you live on fire because the gospel is this good. So you take care of people. Crosspoint has opportunities more, more so than ever to take care of orphans, widows. Tara and I, we've been convicted in our own lives over the last couple years. Like, we've got a home. We've got Silas. We've got the means. Let's take care of some kids. Many of you have done the same thing. I've tried to be careful not to push whatever God's doing in our individual lives onto the church, and yet there's people that have given us opportunities as a church. There's something coming down the pipe called Care Portal. Have you guys ever heard of it? It's an opportunity to connect the needs of foster families, things that they um, might need, um, families who are about to lose their kids, and you can help them to keep the kids in the home. You can mentor people. There's a, there's a million ways to serve through this, but it connects the needs of the community with the church. And there's a couple churches signed up. They need seven or eight to kick it off in Saline County. It's all over the country, and we're one of those churches that signed up. So when they launch this, we're going to launch this throughout the whole congregation and say, this is for grow groups, for individuals. This is an opportunity to serve in ways that we haven't before. The St. Francis communities, who we went, Tara and I, a year or two ago, and we did their 10-week course to get certified, to get licensed or whatever um, in the state of Kansas for foster care. When we went there, I remember meeting them. I was like, man, I don't know how much of a ministry this really is. Like, I don't know if anyone here follows Jesus. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Like, I'll be honest. Now they're contacting us. They want to do a class here. If you would ask me a year ago, like, would they do that? I'd be like, no, they're probably not going to do that in a church. And it's Catholic-based, so it's probably not in a Protestant church. And they're contacting us saying, can we just use your building? Like, they're, they're not even expecting that we're going to have our own people go to this. They're like, can we use your building? I'm like, man, yes, you can. They're kicking it off July 9th, Tuesday nights right here for anyone who wants to walk through that 10-week course and to be licensed for this. There's opportunities right in front of our face. Grow groups. Every grow group is encouraged to have what we call adoption. 
where the people of that group get together and they pray and they say, okay, we've read God's word. We've opened it up. We know the grace of God and his love for us. And this is amazing. And we don't feel guilted into this. We feel compelled to do something, to actually obey this. And we see that it's Jesus' perfect obedience on the cross that frees us to be obedient to him, knowing that his spirit empowers us to do something with our lives. And yet his grace covers us when we fall short as we all do. So we have this great tension of knowing we have a high standard in Christ and yet we're not going to meet it in and of ourselves and yet we're going to live in that tension and we're going to do something for the kingdom of God. And every grow group is encouraged to reach out to a people group, an apartment complex, a nonprofit. It, it could be a business. It can be just people in your sphere of influence. But you go back and you say, let's pray. And as the Spirit leads us, let's, let's commit to this people group that we can serve, that we can love, that we can reach out to. Let's make sure the city is saturated with the gospel. This is how we love God. We don't just know about him. We don't just do things for him. But we know his love for us. And as we get to know him through his word, then we let it change our lives as we walk in obedience to what he says. This is what James is saying. Wherever you are, no matter how scattered, no matter how far away you might feel, your world has been shaken up, you want to know what you do next? You follow Jesus exactly where you are. Let's pray. Father God,